Welcome to the show, Eddie. We had uh, you'd reached out to me a while ago, not a, not a long while ago, because I've only been doing this podcast, this new podcast, for a little over a week. And you said you wanted to come on and talk. And then, in the time that I've been doing this podcast for a little over a week, I've had all these emotional experiences with individuals and talking about things. And then today, both of us get broadsided with. A very emotional day. Very raw day. Yeah, it was uh, not expected at all. Um, So me and Eddie both uh, woke up this morning with, you know, as anyone does, doing their morning routines, their their morning schedules. We, I went to work, started driving a school bus at 7 in the morning because, thank God, it's Friday and... It's late start day, so I get to sleep in a little bit. Yeah. And I get back to uh, my office, and um, I sit down and start doing some work, and one of our dispatchers comes in and says, hey, we need you to cover this route along with the route you're already doing. I'm like, okay. And then I get a phone call like two minutes later that our grandma's being rushed to the emergency room, and... uh, so then I have to go tell them, I'm not covering anything for you. I'm actually leaving. See you later. Because I, I learned pretty early in life when situations like that arise, you just screw work, man. Yeah, Get definitely. the heck out of there. I mean, that was the same for me. I mean, I was just getting my morning started and working on the orders, trying to figure out what needs to get delivered and stuff. And, uh, well, I was actually in a meeting with my boss and, um, my mom was calling me, and my phone was on vibrate, of course, being with the boss, so I was kind of just ignoring the calls. And then when I got out of the meeting, she was like, and I looked at my phone and saw that was my mom, and she, I saw a text and was like, call me now, and I called her, and she was like, you just got you just got to come to the hospital. It's not good. And yeah. And that's when I just dropped everything and ran to my boss and was like, I got to go see you. Yeah. And I jumped in the car and... You know, you're, the drive there was tons of emotions, feelings, a lot of different things roll through your head, you know. First, you you have that anxiety of, like, is she gone or is she passing? Is it, like, life-threatening or is it kind of like, oh, your grandma has an illness or a disease or she only has so much left to go, you know. And it's kind of mentally preparing for myself and then, my brain just kind of went from that to to thinking the memories with her and, you know, growing up. And it just felt like, I don't know, it's hard to explain. It just felt like Grandpa wanted me to think about those type of things instead of just the doom and gloom of having to deal with the raw emotion of whatever's coming your way and then, you know, you get to the hospital and you have a social worker, you know, you never imagine a social worker coming to you and like telling you, oh yeah, your grandma passed, you know, like, would you like some water? And it's like, well, fuck you. Like, fuck your water. Yeah, I was, um, so I had received a phone call as well from, uh, Mandy and, um, I was like, it was basically to the extent of the conversation was they've taken grandma away in an ambulance and they're asking about 
uh, DNRs, do not resuscitate orders. Yeah. And that's when I knew this can't be good. And so I jumped in my car as well and started driving there as quickly as I could. Um, and the whole time I'm driving there, it's like I'm playing this thing in my mind. Like, I hope I'm not too late. I hope I'm not too late. I hope I'm not too late. You know? Yeah. You want to say goodbye, you know, that one final goodbye. Mm-hmm. And then, and we, so we lost our grandfather in 2019, right before the world went to utter hell. Yeah. And we actually, the nice thing about that instance was there's more preparation for it. He had been in the hospital. People, mm-hmm. I know, I know that they thought for a minute that he was going to get better and send him to a rehab, but then, then he started, started to slowly go downhill and as a family, we got to kind of surround him in his passing. Mm-hmm. And so heading to the hospital as fast as I could is because I'm like, I want to be there if this is what it is. Yeah. And then I had uh, met up with you because I was like, hey, wait for me before you, because I hate hospitals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I need mean, s- that's the same for me. It's just like, I don't want to be there. Like, yeah. I'm like, I need someone with me if I'm going into this emergency room. Yeah, me too. And I... The moment I knew it was bad was when we gave the name of our grandmother and they said, oh, hold on. Yeah. And then when a certain individual came and got us and said, you have to wait in this room, they didn't tell us what was going on. Mm -hmm. But I I just knew. I was like, oh, she's I'm too late. Yeah. Because if we would have been on time, you know, it would have. They would have rushed us rushed us to the room. And instead, they sit you in this square, <laughs> desolate. It's not a very welcoming room, I'll tell you what. Um, like, shit, I'm on Stranger Things in their fucked up <laughs> rooms. Yeah, because we, <laughs> like, fuck. When we were uh, at St. Mark's and uh, our grandfather passed away, they had kind of a nicer area. Yeah. It, it was wider open. This was like a. But then Costs again, are phobic. It yeah, like smaller than this room we're in right now. Yeah, but I, I guess I must say that when he passed away, he was in an ICU, so they probably have a room set for that mm-hmm. primarily. But this room was literally like a, I want to say probably a six by six by six square, if that. Yeah, and it had like three chairs in it, and no windows. No, the lighting was that that really white ugly light mm-hmm. that you get everywhere and we both sit down and I'm like this is not good and then when that social worker came in and was she started I was just like just tell it to me straight like did yeah. she pass away and she did and I would hate to have that job me I just too. to have to go in there you're I don't know what her sole purpose is at that hospital but I'm guessing her main job is to comfort families that have passed she's just like on a hanging out to do that all day that would just wreck me oh yeah it would wreck me and to receive that news it was it was so we had talked about it earlier um off the podcast about how we received the uh passing news of our grandfather that was really rough this one hasn't seemed so rough yet but i'm i'm wondering if i'm just like you i'm like my mind hasn't even clicked that it's really happened. Yeah, I mean, my wife, you know, she's, like, on the ride home, she's like, you just seem really distant. Like, you don't you don't want to feel, you don't want... And I told her, I'm like, I don't want to feel. I don't want to feel emotions, love, any of that. I don't want to 
deal with marriage or kids or, you know, because I'm so shell-shocked and still so raw and numb from everything that hasn't really hit me that grandma actually passed, you know, and, and I mean, my wife, she's a wonderful person and she loves to support me and comfort me and she wants to be there for me. And, you know, sometimes with me, I bottle up those emotions, those feelings, those raw feelings. And I, I, I build them up so much to like a cup where it just ends up imploding and I end up breaking down and crying and, you know, and I get kind of distant and cold with, if it's a certain person I really love and especially like with my wife, I get very cold and just, I push them away. Like, don't like, I just don't want to feel right now. And it's, it's hard. And before I left, I was like, you know, I, I'm sorry. I'm a mess. I love you. I just need this right now because I know myself, if I stay there, I'll just end up lashing out with anger and just emotion, raw emotion, because I'm so upset, you know? Yeah. Um, and I mean, when the social worker talked to me about it and she was like, you know, I just broke down because it was like, you never got to say goodbye to her, you know? And we all have that special connection with grandma. And like, for me, it just kind of, I was just playing in my head. Like I heard her voice this morning when, because I was talking to my mom and she was at grandma's and I could hear her voice and she sounded like grandma, you know, she didn't sounded really sick or anything. So it was like, what the hell happened? You know, it's like kind of like twilight. And I'm like, is this real? Like, <laughs> yeah, I was, <clears throat> I had just visited with her, um, not too long ago, like three, four weeks ago, went over and was talking with her and she seemed very fine. She was very humorous as she always is. Yeah. And just very, always humorous. she's full of humor, full of wit. And, and she's just, she's sharp as a tack with her comebacks <laughs> and stuff. And oh, she yeah. seemed totally fine. So it, it kind of was a blow to me as well. Like, what the hell this and i guess that goes to show um how life itself is so dynamic like one minute everything's fine the next minute it's all upside down and uh with with losing her this one's hitting me in a in an odd way because and i'm sure other people can relate that are listening to us that everyone out there who has lost a grandparent it's it's devastating because the, the grandparents are like the cool parents. They're like the ones yeah. that let you get away with whatever you want, whenever you want, oh, yeah. wherever you want. And so, like, and that was definitely our our grandmother. She she let us do whatever the hell we wanted to. Um, and we had a really special connection with both of our grandparents because growing up, both me and you spent a enormous amount of time oh, yeah. with both I mean, of them summers um you know during the weeks when our parents were working or you know had to work late i mean grandma and grandpa were always there for us and always you know was like well just have them come over you know yeah and they they were the they were they were like the cool babysitter yeah for us growing up and and to, to so to lose a grandparent is one thing, but then to lose the final grandparent, because mm-hmm. for me, and I don't know if this is true for you on your dad's side, but 
this is my final grandparent. I don't have one left now. I'm in the same boat. You know, um, both of my, uh, both of my grandparents on my dad's side, I mean, his folks, they died, uh, in his early twenties. So I never got to meet him. I've always wondered about him. You know, my dad's told me a few things here and there with, about them, but grandma and grandpa have always been the the key grandparents. Yeah. And that's for me as well. Cause my dad's mother passed away when he was like 14. Mm-hmm. And then my, uh, grandfather, my dad's dad passed away when I was like, probably like five or six. I, if I recall right. So the whole concept of death and people, like I, I don't have a lot of memories with him other than like, I kind of remember like this toy chest that he used to have and we'd play mm-hmm. and things. But when he passed away, my understanding as a child was vastly different than it is now. Yeah. And it's it's uh it's definitely hitting me and affecting me in a way that I'm like, wow, this is like a almost like a new I don't want to say like a new chapter in both of our lives, but there is no grandparents to go to for advice or those stories that you always that you love hearing from the grandparents because they always have the best stories. oh yeah or a good laugh from grandma you know (laughs) yeah a good laugh and they always have the dirt on the parents (laughs) yeah they do they do and so yeah it's like it's when we were um kind of sitting in that because we we sat there with this and the social worker said that our parents wanted some time alone for a minute, and then they finally came and got us. And when we went into the room to say our goodbyes, it was like all these, like you said, Russia memories. I kept thinking about all the things I'd done with this lady that's now passed away on this table, yeah. or not table, um, hospital bed. And just like, man, that's I had so many experiences that, I think we take memories for granted. Like we don't remember them until like these uh, key yeah. critical moments. And it's like, it's, I think it's really important to talk about memories more and keep those memories alive because I'm like, I, I forgot I did do all this crazy yeah. stuff with them. Yeah. Cause you were talking about all the stuff you did with them. They, in fact, you were talking about how they were like instrumental in creating like at the time when we were kids, some of the things they would have us go do, like go to antique shops yep. <laughs> and on these road trips to all these historical sites, ghost towns and Gold cemeteries field, all and those, things. Yeah. yeah. When I was a kid, I was like, what the hell? Like, why am I? Yeah, this is like lame. Like, like I should be hanging out with my friends or, or playing video games or doing something. Like, I, I'm too young for this. Yeah, like. right. <laughs> now, later in life, I'm like, and we I find ourselves, the, yeah, you find yourself doing the same things. You're like, wow, they did have a yeah, uh, and an impact <laughs> on like the shaping of our futures and our general interests in what we went into. So yeah, it's it's rough and it's it's strange, and I'm trying to process. I mean, we're literally recording this episode hours yeah. after losing her and still processing the emotions and going through those stages that everyone goes through with grief and loss. And well, I think, I think the podcast is a good thing to, you know, my wife was like, do you want to do it today? Or do you want to do it tomorrow? I'm like, I want to do it today. Like I feel for me with doing this podcast and stuff. And like a lot of people like, why would you want to go do a podcast? Like right now? Well, why aren't you like, 
just sitting there and you're mourning and grieving and in a room, you know? Yeah. And it's like, you know, the podcast lets you kind of release the emotion, the feelings, the memories, the good times, the everything, you know, it, it's that release. It, it, it's a, to let the world know about our grandparents and, you know, how much we loved them and how much fun we had with them. You know, it's, I mean, why, why sit in a room and just, you know, sit there and ponder and sit in your misery and like, oh man, you know, it's like. I know. I think it's very important to reach out and communicate with people, especially in moments where there's real grief and real loss instead of, because like you kind of said, you're used to bottling it all up and letting it build up till it explodes. And I'm very much kind of the same way. All that day-to-day things that have bothered me just build up, build up, instead of just dealing with them and letting them out and talking to people yeah, and uh, things like that. So it's kind of a way of therapy. Mm -hmm. And and maybe other people can relate and be like, oh, yeah, I'm either going through that or I've been through that. And so I think it's... That's that's kind of why I started this uh, podcast itself is because I have so much fun with our horror podcast that we do. It's a lot of fun. We watch horror movies. We talk about that stuff. But I never get to talk about like the deep dives in life that Raw I'm also life, you know? very interested yeah. in. Mm-hmm. And you yourself, I mean, with, with losing um, both grandparents now and having to deal with the emotion that that brings on you yourself though, have changed your life drastically in the past two years. Um, year? in the last year, you know, I had a big health scare myself with my diabetes. You know, I, I was getting to the point where I wasn't taking care of myself. I was sitting on the couch, just pretty much not living life. I mean, grandpa's passing took a toll on me big time. I mean, I was just pretty much like, let's check out, you know, like grandpa, like he's gone. Like I have lost all my support, you know? And yeah. Cause you and grandpa were really close. Um, I can't count how many times <laughs> you would go up and cause I would come with you guys yeah. to the cabin, but you were like the go to cabin. Yeah, I was pretty dedicated. You yeah. Know? You were and always up like, there helping him and, you know, losing that support and everything. And I, I gave up on doctors and trusting them and, you know, and when I landed, I went to the Instacare because I thought I had a kidney stone. And they're like, well, we don't know if you have a kidney stone. They're like, let's test your blood level. And I'm like, okay. They're like, you are you have a 500 sugar. Like, you're right on, you're at a point of a diabetic coma. Like, So a 500 <laughs> sugar level, that's through the roof, I'm guessing. Yeah, that's... What are you supposed to be at? So, like, your normal levels should be anywhere from, like, 100. I mean, somebody that's diabetic has different blood levels compared to a person that doesn't have diabetes. For a healthy diabetic person, their blood level, sugar levels should be anywhere from a 70 to 150 max. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're pushing over 150, then it kind of falls under that category of uncontrolled diabetes. Gotcha. And so... 500, that's pretty much diabetic coma time. That's yeah, like, that's where you're in yeah, non-coherent time. checkout time. And so they're like, you have to rush over to the emergency room. And I and I, so I so get rushed over to the emergency room in a wheelchair. And 
start hooking me up and they can't get my sugar levels down. They're like pumping me full of insulin, trying to get the sugar levels down. They want to rest tests, scans on all my kidneys, organs, you know, because diabetics, you know, that can fell them, get on dialysis and all that. Mm-hmm. And the doctor came in and he's like, you know, we got your levels down. Well, I had to go back twice. I mean, a second time. To the <laughs> Instacare or the emergency? <laughs> to the emergency room. So okay. they sent me home with a blood sugar level of 350. And I was like, you know, I'll start coming down. And like my wife tested my blood again. And she's like, no, it's not coming down. So we had to go back in. With one of those little just prick your finger mm-hmm, things. Gotcha. The blood tests. And I, I get back in the second time and they're like, and they pump me full more insulin and more fluids and just trying to get me back stable. And they finally get me stable and, you know, sitting in that hospital and stuff, like, I was just sitting there like, man, I'm like, what the fuck are you doing, man? Like, you're ready to fucking check out. Like, I mean, what are you doing with your life, you know? And How old were you when this? Uh... I was 33. 33. You know, and my, I was just thinking, like, Grandpa would be here right now being like, get your act together. Like, you know, like, can't be doing this stuff. Hey, you got kids, you got people that care about you. You got a lot of things going for yourself. Like, why are you doing this to yourself? And so I made a choice that night to to really take it serious, you know. And what really woke me up with diabetes and stuff is I had a friend in high school. We weren't really close, but it was a friend. And uh, his name was Chris, and he ended up, uh, he had diabetes too. And he was a couple years younger than me, and uh, he uh, didn't take care of his diabetes. Still, you know, didn't care. Kind of lived in denial like most diabetics do until it's too late. And started off with his leg. He had a little open, like, sore on his toe, and diabetics don't heal that great, especially on the feet. That's usually the first that go. And so they had to actually cut it off. Cut his toe off? Mm-hmm. And then slowly, gradually, they just started chopping more off and more off till it got to his above the knee, and then it finally started healing. And, you know, so he had a prosthetic, and and then, you know, he had, you know, then he his kidneys weren't good, so he was on dialysis, and then he lost an eye to being diabetic. So he didn't have an eye missing so uh what i heard is he was getting teased a lot and like you fucking monster like you know how old was he when this was this was in high school uh no this was just recently oh okay past i think about a year maybe two years but it was right around the time with my episode and he uh he ended up taking um they're not 100 percent sure but they're pretty sure he took his life by overdosing on meds mm-hmm um, he just got a point where he can't handle anymore. He, you know, feeling like a freak and, you know, he lost it. His girlfriend left him and stuff and he just lost all hope and seeing the pictures of him, the progress of what he went through and seeing that, I'm like, you know, I'm like, is it really worth it, dude? Like you want to have a quality of life. You don't want to be having a prosthetic and and having all these problem health problems in your life, like, and that's what the doctor told me. He's like, dude, like, 
everything's functioning good. All your organs, everything's good. You still have an opportunity here to change, change it. He's like, you got 10 more years of living this, this shit. Then it's going to hit you. And then that's when we're going to start lobbing off limbs and you're going to start having, you know, kidney problems and the whole full nine yards with diabetes. And I was like, man, I was like, is it really worth it, Eddie? Like, is it really worth pigging out and not getting exercise and being overweight? You feel like crap. Your body's shutting down. Like, come on. Yeah, I don't think people realize how easy it is to let yourself slip away first because you give yourself like cheat days and then you just start eating whatever you want. Mm -hmm. And then eventually you start feeling like crap, but then you get so used to feeling like crap that you think that's normal. So feeling actually healthy, it's like, you don't even remember what that is anymore. Yeah. So you're like, Oh, this is just how life is. And you just keep going with that Mm -hmm. pattern until you get stuck in it. And you were telling me that you were actually kind of riding around in those jazzy scooters and stuff. Like, yeah, I would, you know, I was at the point where I'd go to Walmart or the local store and I would be in one of those like little scooter jazzy things. You know, and it's like, dude, you're one of those things that you attribute <laughs> to like a 60, yeah, 70 year old. Yeah. Guy going and you're there. like, dude, like what's the next 600 pound life? Like, come on, bro. How, how big were you at your biggest weight? My biggest weight was actually 450 pounds at one time. 450 Mm -hmm. and you got down to what are you at now right now i'm at three so i'm right at 300 i got about 50 more pounds to lose um the heat has been a factor with finding other places to walk and stuff because i do a lot of walking Mm -hmm. i get my steps in every day like i just and i watch what i eat and i do what i need to i stay active um what's nice is like back in 2008 i Pretty much like essentially not like blow out my knee, but I tore apart where they could actually move the kneecap all the way to the other Ooh. off to the side of my leg. Oh my and they fixed everything, but I was never able to run on it. Every time I tried to run, my leg would want to just give out, buckle, the knee would want to buckle. And now I can full on run and my knee feels strong. It doesn't feel like it's enough buckle. So when you start seeing those wins, that just motivates you more for me personally. Like when I was like, man, I can actually run again. Like, man, I can actually walk again and not get winded. I can, I can go do things like the heat doesn't kill me such to a point where I'm like, Oh, I'm just so hot and miserable. Like, yeah, it's hot, but I'm able to deal with it. Like I ain't like, cause and it's like, yeah, because you're not carrying all that extra weight with you, bro. Oh yeah. Like, and I mean, and and that's why I thought, you know, it's like you can have a good life, have a good quality of life. Like what's what's more important, your health or or eating or the lazy the lazy stuff in your face all day long and just gaining weight. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, it's like there's more to life. Yeah, I I had to come to kind of the same conclusion too myself. Um I had actually gained a lot of weight over COVID. I I didn't get up to uh, quite <laughs> the 400 range, mm-hmm. but I, um, I got to 190. And for me, I'm small stature and everything, short guy, yeah. 190. And I looked at myself. Um, I didn't see it happen. That's the scary thing about letting yourself kind of go is you don't really see it yeah, happen. Yeah, you don't because it gradually just, and you just slowly just like, and then you're like, holy crap. Yeah, and then I started noticing my clothes weren't fitting right. 
and then I was like looking at past photos, or I didn't even have to look at past photos. All I looked at were photos I had taken of myself mm-hmm. and like printed out. And I'm like, oh my God, I got big old love handles. Yeah. I got a gut. My face looks so puffy and I looked like the Pillsbury Doughboy. Like, and I had to make that active decision as well to say, okay, one, you're not drinking anymore. I had to come to that conclusion because I had watched too many. There were too many um, because like my way of drinking and my way of like alcoholism, I always call myself the most responsible alcoholic because I never (laughs) drove drunk. I never went to work drunk. I have a safety-sensitive position. I can't be doing stuff like that. But when Fridays hit, it was party time and go time. Yeah. (laughs) And so Friday to Friday and Saturday was like, woo. I was definitely there for a few of those weekends. (laughs) And then you make these irresponsible choices. You eat this junk garbage food. Yeah. And I, I got acid reflux horribly. I started having to deal with acid reflux. And that, when you start getting that bad, it sucks. Yeah. And then I started watching all these uh, musicians that I had admired and really looked up to as a guitar player myself and was like, they're all dying. And they're all dying of these ways that, you know, they say, oh, oh but yeah. you know why they're dead. Like, yep. oh, it's the partying and, oh, the, yeah. you know, and all that that catches up with you, just like you're saying your doctor told you. Yeah, I had to do the same thing. I had to say, you can't do this anymore. You've got to turn your life around. You're going to be dead at 40, just like those rock stars. And you didn't even get to experience the rock star (laughs) lifestyle. Well, and I mean, with, you know, and that's one thing that keeps popping my head. Every time grandma saw me lately, she'd be like, hey, you look so good. Like, you look healthy. You're doing well. Like, and it, it made me feel so good because it was like, because I, I didn't put any of this stuff on social media, Facebook, because that's one thing I realized in life with addiction, alcohol. You know, I've had my bouts with alcoholism. I, I consider myself an alcoholic. That's why I have to stay away from it. Yeah. And it's it's like when you try to quit some a bad habit or addiction or try to change your life, you instantly want to seek your instant gratification. So you're going to go on social media and post, hey, I did this today. I ran and I I ate right and I did this, you know, and then everybody's like, oh, congrats and give me the likes and keep it going. And so you automatically get your instant gratification. So yeah. then you just feel good and then you're just like, oh, well, I don't have to do it anymore. So you don't do it anymore. And then you're just right back to stuffing your face with Oreos and cupcakes and <laughs> doing the stuff dude you see that come january (laughs) one that's how social media blows up with that stuff and that's the problem with social platforms it it's bad because it gives people so much instant gratification where they don't want to do anymore it's like you can tell when people are struggling in life or anything because they start putting on social media and then they're like oh well I'm getting that instant gratification or i'm feeling loved or something and i and that's what i hate about social platforms that's why i don't really post much on there about personal life or things I'm doing or exercising or anything. Cause it's like, I'm, I, I'm doing this for myself. I ain't doing it for my wife. I ain't doing it for my kids. I ain't doing it for my parents. I'm doing it for myself because if I do it for any of them, I'm a fucking fell for sure. Yeah. 100%. My last a week, my last couple of months, but I will fell. 
So you have to do those things for yourself. Yeah, it's interesting that you have to that you say that you have to take the ownership to the core of your own being and and you find that a lot. I was talking about this with a uh, another guest that was on just um, last night, and we both kind of were talking about how people go to social media and and it's it's okay to share your success stories or share that you're doing something because I think those can be good inspiration for other people. Yeah, they are. But when it turns into that daily post of look at what I did, look at what I did, look what I did. I think your people are just looking for those immediate thumbs up, likes, thumbs up, likes. And eventually people start not giving a shit. They don't care. So you get less of the likes, less of the likes. And then people just kind of go back to being their own. Well, that's what I love about Alex Heimerman. You know, he, he he's very he just tells you how it is you know like i mean i've seen where mutual friends and stuff and they're like man i feel down and stuff and alex is like well go do something like go to the gym or go (laughs) go hit something or go do something with your life like he's just blunt you know and he he's he made big life changes in his life and you see him how he stride and stuff and oh yeah he used to be a big boy he was when i worked with him at guitars and more back in the day he was fairly overweight and you know and he, yeah. now he's ripped <laughs> yeah and he's I doing mean, uh jujitsu and all this shit you see him and he's the biggest dork in his gym like he does gym <laughs> photos but he ain't doing them for no yeah good job he's like in turtles out <laughs> but that's what i love about alex you know he just he gives you that tough love and he needs he tells you what you need to hear you know that people too much they want to cuddle you and like it's okay you know and I was just like, dude, get your fucking life together. <laughs> what else I like about that guy uh, is he, um, he he's kind of a he's kind of a shithead. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> he thinks. <laughs> and if he ever, he, I don't know if he listens to this or not, but he's a very um, he's like when it comes to critiques and stuff. Dude. He's oh, he's very, critical. Yeah, he's very <laughs> serious at things. I remember he used to drive me so nuts working with him at a music store because I used to love Slayer and I idolized Slayer. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, they're crazy, cool <laughs> guitar gods and all this. And he would just give me shit about how... I remember one time he was like, I wouldn't even use one of their CDs as a coaster for my Coke. <laughs> and I'm like, that sounds like Alex. Yeah, I'm like, you asshole, <laughs> fuck you. Um but and he recently got into a bit of a tangent with another uh, one of our mutual friends that used to work at that store as well. And the guy uh, messaged me. He's like, what the fuck's wrong with Alex, man? And I'm like, <laughs> what? What are you saying? It was something about music or something. I'm like, mm-hmm. dude, you just got to just roll with it. Just who gives a shit <laughs> yeah. what Alex says about your music? He's going to say what he says because he. <laughs> It's very critical of music, man. Yeah. And like, just who cares? Don't let it get to your feelings. He's yeah. Like, well, fuck that guy. He, <laughs> he seems miserable. I'm like, I don't think he's miserable. Yeah. I think he is actually pretty damn happy most of the time, but he's going to be critical, just like you said. He doesn't beat around the bush with anything. So yeah. he's, he is a pretty good guy. He works. Yeah. I want to get him on this show because I want to talk with him about teaching out in Nebraska. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to see him soon because I'm going back. Uh, I'm going back east to West Virginia and we're stopping in Nebraska and I'll see you there. But yeah, so I mean, it's really cool to see that you have turned your life around. You've lost a lot of weight. I remember Lacey telling me that um, she'd called me. You'd went out to her little show. And she was like, hey, Eddie's coming over. I was like, oh, okay, that's fine, cool. And she's like, he looks good. 
I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Anyway, it's good. Because I didn't hear any of this. Yeah. Because like you said, you don't post it on social media. No. You're doing it for you and you alone. Yeah. And then when I seen you come into the house, I was like, oh, yeah, Eddie, I've never seen you at this weight prior to um, you being out of high school. Yeah. I think high school when you were wrestling was probably your peak. Yeah, wrestling and Rentone, you know. Um, oh, because that kept you moving yeah, all the time. Yeah, that kept me moving. So, you know, that's uh that was probably my best peak time. Do you ever miss that rent to own business, that world? Um, you know, that uh, there was some good memories with that, but it's pretty high end stress. I mean, probably the best moments for me was when we closed down the store and I was able to work with people's accounts and I worked with the owner. I was like, you know, we should really make these people happy and like do a 60% off their agreement. And he's like, actually, let's do better. Let's do 70. So, so what happened is, so with front own, you have a rental agreement and you have a payoff. And so if you go full term, you end up paying more, you know, it's name of the game. And so what we did is we went, took their contract, saw what was left on it, like what their buyout was, took that ticket, 70% 70% off. So a lot of people's payoffs went from a thousand down to like 200, 100 oh, bucks. Wow. That's nice. So it was really awesome to see these people light up when I would tell them and I would surprise them with it. I'm like, this month's payment will pay your thing off. Are you serious? I'm like, yeah, I'm dead serious. They're like, man, you're a lifesaver. Yeah, because when you do that rental to own, it's kind of like that check cashing business stuff. It's yeah, you get caught up. You can get caught up real easy. Yeah, and, I mean, and, if you don't do the ninety days same as cash, then yeah, you pay a, a lot amount of money for stuff. And you know, these are hardworking class people that you know, they've had some struggles. Things happen in life, and it was so awesome to see that in their eyes, just the excitement of, hey, like. Usually I'm always down on my luck and struggling to make the payments. And here you are giving me a gift of having ownership of that product or whatever I bought. So, And you know what's cool? You didn't run to a social media platform and post about how you did that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've that was probably the greatest thing with Rentone was doing that. You know, because Rentone has a lot of emotions, a lot of feelings. I mean, you get emotionally invested with these people each you're almost like a caseworker with each family because you want them to keep their stuff, but you got to kind of help them make priorities with their bills and everything and help them. And, you know, able to do in that form, that's what made it fun. You know, I would have never thought of Rentone like that. That's interesting that you explain it like that. I would have just thought Rentone you're dealing with, you know, customers like at RC Willie, but you're right. You're dealing with, you're probably dealing with people that are return customers because that's the only way oh, yeah. they can buy items yeah, and things you know, like and, that. And with me having the heart that I have, you know, a lot of guys get in it and they, they're they the typical strong arm. Got my stuff, got my money, I'm taking it, you know. And I came from a heart perspective and I think it it came up from growing up the way I did, you know, with my mom and with grandma and everyone, you know, it just... Cause I, I've been, I've been through that, you know, where money was tight, you know, and got handy downs or went to the DI, but my mom always made me, I always like, I didn't 
take that stuff for granted. Like I knew my mom did the best she could and I still had a awesome childhood, had things, you know, I got cool stuff, but I, uh, growing up, I, I don't take anything for granted, you know, and I still don't. And I just, I keep myself humble. No, we, we both came from, I won't call either one of our families poor, but we weren't not, we were not well off either. Yeah. And neither were our grandparents. They no. weren't uh, loaded with money either. And, but one thing that I think definitely our grandparents, both of our grandparents instilled in us is hard work and to work for your money and, yeah. and quality work. Cause we both grew up with, um, they both, uh, would pay us to mow their lawns and mow some of the neighbor's lawns on and pick block. up apples and, and all that. Well, stuff. you know, there it was, was never, yeah, it was God. never, you're getting this for yeah. free. I mean, you would go to grandma and grandpa and be like, you know, I want this really bad. And they're like, okay, well, let's take a look at it. And then you'd be like, okay, well, um, you're going to earn it. You know, you're not, you're not just be given it. So like, you know, you end up painting fences, digging holes, whatever they needed, you know? And, but that instilled so much work ethic in us that we were hard workers. We dedicate ourselves to it. Oh yeah. And I, I mean, I never even thought about that till just now about where my work ethic came from. And it was probably from both of them and what they would make us do to earn uh, an allowance or earn money. And they always made, made that a real big point. And I, I hate when I hear like, um, cause I work with a lot of older individuals mm-hmm. and I hate when I listen to them blame younger generations for being so lazy. And I'm like, I work with you guys and I see how yeah. lazy you are. It's not a generational thing. It's mm-hmm. just a people thing. People either have a good work ethic or they don't. Yeah. It's like, it, I remember a time with grandma, her neighbor, well, her friend too, uh, hired me to mow her lawn while she was out of town. And she had a particular way of mowing her lawn and stuff. And, I remember I went there and I was like, man, she has the biggest lawn. Like, come on. And like, she didn't want the bag. She wanted rate and everything. And I remember I mowed it and I did a really crappy job. (laughs) And and grandma marched me right down there and was like, (laughs) you're going to redo this and you do it right. And I'm like, oh, you should have done it right the first time. And I was like, yeah. "Yeah." (laughs) So, I mean, I learned at a young age, like, hey, you know, kind of corner, kind of slack off. It ain't even pay because you end up doing it twice. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. That's so funny. She was, they both, both of them were very, uh, very particular. And, um, but in, in a very good way, they, uh, cause I, I can attribute a lot of my, uh, my childhood and my qualities that I hold to them. Yeah. Because they, too. they raised me a lot because my parents. Same here. Both my parents, uh, they worked full time. And then my parents did not get along a lot. They were always, they were always in arguments and tangents and things like that. And so that, that was another reason I was always over at grandma and grandpa's is because I would go there during their spats. Yeah. And so I'd have to go over there while they figured their stuff out and, you know, Oh, yeah. I mean, like for me, it was, you know, my mom worked full time. So grandma watched me during the day and during the summers, I spent my summers over there and going to school. I went to school at, by grandma's house, you know, and 
I, Did you go to that David Gorley? Yeah, I went to David Gorley. <laughs> I was like, home of the pandas. <laughs> but um, Home of the pandas. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, grandma always, you know, I remember my grandma would always still make sure that I respected my mom and loved her as much as I loved them. Because there, I remember my mom telling me there was one time where I was like, I don't want to go home and stuff like and she's like, you need to go home. That's your mom. That's, <laughs> And she would straighten me up. I remember one, one time my grandma, I, I used to have a hard time. I would uh, call her and be like, Grandma, I don't feel well. I'm so sick. And I'd be playing hooky. And, you know, and she, she caught on to it. You know, She was like, okay, I'll set you straight. So one day I called her sick. And she's like, okay. And I came and she's like, and I was like about to turn on the TV. She's like, oh, no, you're going to sit here and rest all day. And I was like, oh, man. Rest? What so, are you talking so about? So I literally had to sit on her couch in the back family room and sit there and ponder, like, man, school's a lot funner than sitting <laughs> here on the couch <laughs> acting like I'm sleeping. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I mean, the, from that day forward, I was like, ah, I'd just rather be in school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I remember summers. Summers were a big one for me because we would I would get out of school and um, – Basically, my dad would pick me up from their house and my mom would take me there because they work different hours. So I'd spend and I'd show up and you would already be there and we yep. would hang out for hours and hours, oh, yeah. summer after summer after summer, all the way probably through first, second grade, all the way up to seventh grade, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Is from what I remember. Once oh, yeah, I got into too. junior high, I started turning into one of those. I still mowed lawns and things for them, but I was more like, I'm going to hang out my friends now, just like <laughs> yeah. any junior high kid does. Yeah, you end up like, oh, well, hanging out with grandparents ain't that cool. Yeah, you know? it's but, not that cool. Um, yeah, I mean, with, you know, going to their house all the time and we're <laughs> in elementary and stuff, grandma would be like, tell me, she like, you know, she, she always had this, she told me a story about the garbage man, like, getting this kid with a garbage truck, you know? And one time she had to come looking for me after school because I was hiding in the bushes because I saw the garbage truck, man. And she would always love to tell everybody, you know, Eddie was scared of a garbage man. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> did, you, did you know I was their garbage man for a while? Really? Yeah. Oh, I, wow. <laughs> so when I worked for Wasatch Waste and Recycle, I was there. I did That's their awesome. route. It was funny. Yeah. Uh, I, I didn't even – because. I had a falling out from that side of the family for a while. I, I kind of just, you know, a lot of family drama was happening and I was like, I'm going to take myself out of this and yeah. I need to be at peace with this. And, mm -hmm. you know, um, so I was handed this route that I was doing. And I was like, I know this neighborhood and I'm like going around, going around. And then I'm like, <laughs> that's my grandma's. House. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. And, I told her that uh, not too long ago. I was like, because <laughs> this was later on. I was like, did you know I was your gar uh, garbage man for like two months? She's like, you were. <laughs> I was like, yeah. It It's sad that it took the passing of grandpa for me to reconnect. Reconnect. Yeah. And, and that's always a sad thing. You shouldn't reconnect. And if I can impress on anybody, don't reconnect through a tragedy. Yeah, definitely. But it, I am glad it 
helped me to reconnect with her. I wish I would have had more with him yeah. in his last years, but unfortunately I didn't. You and, got- that, and that's one thing is you always wish you had more time, you know? Um, like today I was thinking, you know, I wouldn't even really be here if it wasn't for grandma because she literally had to save my life one day when, because I was at her house and silly me, I grab a jack from, you know, the old school kid toys there, like little spiky things, metal. Oh, yeah. The, where you go, the ball and <laughs> yeah. the jacks. And it actually okay. was my mother's. And it was like <laughs> hidden there for years upon years. And I, here I am, swallow it. And you I'm, swallowed a jack? Yeah, I swallowed a jack at grandma's house. And she was like, and I was like, I guess I was like turning blue and green and all sorts <laughs> of colors. And she's like, oh my goodness. So we jump in her car and she's like rushing me to, it used to be called FHP. It was like the healthcare. And and she saw me just like start really turning some weird color. And she's like, crap, I need to get this out of him or he's going to die. <laughs> like, so she pulls over on the side of the road and she's literally giving me the Heimlich. And I guess I like, I don't know if I burped the bubble first or what, but I burped a bubble and all of a sudden the jack came flying out. And she, and she ended up taking me to the doctors to, you know, my mom met her there and everything to make sure, you know, they probably want to check it out, see if yeah, I had any. Because those are sky- sharp. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's metal. It's for an object, you know. They didn't did, you, know if it, like, did you get the jack back? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, man, I, I would have made a necklace out <laughs> yeah. of that shit. I yeah, I've been thing like, I survived this. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, I got to contribute to Grandma saving my life when I was a kid because, I mean, I mean, I always was attached to grandma because I remember one time I got stung by a bee and I didn't want my mom or anyone. I was like, take me to grandma's, take me to grandma's. And I would go grandma grandma would always fix me up, you know? (laughs) You know, I could probably blame her for some of my safety conscious anxieties that I have because that woman, she, she was always worried about every little safety thing. Uh, We used to go on these road trips with them. They would take us everywhere. They'd, like we said, uh, old ghost towns in Nevada, oh, yeah. California, things of that nature. And she was like a backseat driver from hell. <laughs> yeah. And I had to feel so bad for our grandpa because he would always, and this guy was the <laughs> slowest driver to begin Always with. 10 under or 10 yeah. <laughs> the speed the, limit. <laughs> while you're listening to the oldest Old school country oh, yeah. ever. You know, Roy Rogers, Gene <laughs> Autry, I mean, all the classics. <laughs> <laughs> and and she would still find a way to critique his driving and be like, you're driving too fast. Yeah. <laughs> and I got to experience that uh, over the summer. I went to her house and picked her up and brought her over here and she had dinner with us. And when I took her back, she just critiqued my driving the whole way. And I was like, Grandma, do you know what I do for my day job? Like, I'm a CDL instructor. She's like, I know. You must be the worst one. (laughs) (laughs) That's Grandma for you. (laughs) Because it was slow down. (laughs) Yeah. It's like she would act like you're moving like the Millennial Falcon with the stars streaming past you, but you're doing 25 miles an hour. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, I was I was actually surprised when we were there that um, she she's not a devout Catholic, but from her little religious background, she was Catholic. Mm-hmm. And they still don't let clergy in the hospital. Is that what they were saying? 
Yeah, because of COVID. Because of COVID, I'm like, I'm like, I don't like you. You're like looking around and and you're not seeing people with masks on and stuff. Yeah, half the half of the nurses (laughs) and stuff had them down. And yeah, it was like, well, what's the big deal with that? You know, I'm almost like, are we ever going to get back to a place where you can go into a hospital without a mask? I don't think we're going to. I don't think so either. But then there were even the staff weren't obeying their own rules. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely. I mean. Yeah, that was that was kind of odd because it was like, you know, you would think they would have somebody there to do that for, you know. Yeah, cuz I remember when grandpa passed, they had a uh, an LDS uh member of the f- yeah. of that faith come in and cuz he was LDS, she was Catholic. Yeah, me um I think it was me, Brian and actually my old bishop that conducted his Oh, gotcha. LDS faith, you know, and I mean, that was awesome to see our awesome Mandy step up and, yeah, and do that, you know, for pulled her. out the Lord's Prayer or something. But that's how Mandy is, you know. Mandy always just steps up and, I mean, that's how she is. She just always steps up and figures out and, you know, we'll do this. Yeah, and she's going through her own struggle. I felt bad because Mandy really was relying on Grandma because Grandma was a uh, breast cancer survivor. Yeah. She was given like a year to two years to live when she got her diagnosis of breast cancer. Yeah. And she was like, no, I don't think so. And she lived what? 15 years after that. More and more. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. And so she was, she's really been supporting our, uh, supporting Mandy and all this. So I'm, I feel, uh, I feel devastated for her because when yeah. she came in, we were already there. She, she definitely broke down. Oh, yeah. I mean, playing mushrooms and fillings and, you know, uh, it was, and that's not hard to deal with, especially if your own things are going yeah. on in your head with your own illness. and Exactly. And especially when it's an illness where it, I mean, it's, yeah. it could kill, kill her. I mean, but, you know, one thing about Mandy is she always stays strong and, oh, always, she's strong and positive. That's yeah. both. So I, I always tell, Mandy and I always would tell grandma too because I was like man when I get sick I'm screwed because I'm always doomed and gloomy. Yeah, like, like I get a little <laughs> sniffle and I'm like I might as well get the gravestone ready yeah and those guys would get diagnosed with crazy stuff and they're like eh, it's not no big deal yeah and I remember I don't think grandma wanted to die anytime soon I had talked with her a little bit about it mm-hmm. um and because she would just joke, she's like, I'm the last one on the block. All my friends are under the ground. And yeah, but I'll join them way later. Um, but I don't think she was. I think in the end, when that's that's one kind of sad thing is, yeah, she had us grandchildren and stuff and we would go and visit. But it's got to feel lonely when you don't have those uh, friends that you grew up with, you know, and well, and not having grandpa around, you know. Yeah, I mean. You know, you have people during the day, but, you know, and my mom stayed there a couple nights a week with her. And, you know, those nights where my mom wasn't there, it, it was probably really hard on her with being alone at night, you know. And she probably left the TV on all night just yeah, to, just 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 have, to that have, noise, have that noise. That white yeah. Noise. yeah. I, I have to do that. I can't sleep in a... Yeah, me either. <laughs> and, uh you know, not having grandpa there and not having anyone, you know, your mind ponders, you know, like, geez, you know, I'm alone, you know, like, and, you know, that's one thing my dad said. He's like, you know, son, because sometimes I'm like, man, you know, <laughs> it's hard, you know, and he's like, yeah, it does get hard at times, but you have that person there for you. And I mean, 
And sometimes I forget that with Jess, you know, Jess is always there for me. Always. Even when times I shouldn't deserve her love or her compassion or even her time, she'll sit there and still comfort me or, you know, fight through my stubbornness and like, just leave me alone, you know, and she'll be like, no, I'm not leaving you alone. And, you know, that's what I love about her and that she, she definitely, she's definitely my ride or die. She, she definitely is there for me. And my dad's like, you know, even at my age at 67, you know, he's like, yeah, I, I had control of my life. I had, I made all my own decisions. Like, you know, I didn't have to have a second, you know, I didn't have to come to a decision together. You know, I just made all my decisions, you know, and I could do what I want when I want. And, but he's like, it's really lonely. Yeah. He's like, you know, it's, it's really lonely. And he's like, especially being retired now, it's like, it's cabin fever. You know, he's like, it's, it's definitely ha- good to have that significant other in your life. I definitely have been pondering that a lot too, because I actively decided not to have kids mm-hmm. early in life and still haven't really changed my mind on yeah. having kids. And I'm 32 now. So having kids now, that's late in life, actually. Yeah. And I, but I do think I'm like, if I go in the traditional way that people go, Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be surrounded by anybody. And that is lonely and a scary thought. Cause yeah. you know, if I, if grandma hadn't had had her children and her grandchildren there, who would she have had? Yeah. That's, that's a terrifying thought that I, that does sneak into my brain quite often because we were already talking about how our families are kind of shrinking as mm-hmm. they are. And the smaller they get, you have kids though i don't so uh every once in a while i'm like damn dude am i gonna be one of those old dudes living in a van somewhere 84 (laughs) and then i just croak (laughs) alone like oh that doesn't sound very pleasant (laughs) yeah i mean i i think about that stuff too you know and i'm like you know it's you know with grandpa passing and now grandma it's like geez you know like it really puts uh, yeah. mortality into perspective. It does, and and it makes you think like. Sometimes you're like, "Well, crap! I don't have my support system." Like especially with Grandpa, like I felt like my whole support system was gone. I felt like this is then for me. Mm-hmm. Um, Grandpa was always that one person that, if I did wrong or if I messed up, he would talk to me and he would want to f- help me fix it. And he would just, he wouldn't yell at me. He wouldn't, like, you know, and kick your ass or something. You know, he just talked to you. He'd be disappointed in you. Yeah. And a lot of times I felt like, well, geez. And that's what Grandma, too. Like, I always, like, felt with Grandma and Grandpa. I'm like, geez, I'm like, can you guys just beat me? Like, this talking is, like, making me feel worse than the damn, <laughs> than a damn beating, you know? Yeah, no joke. Because I would, you know, and I would make it right, you know? Um, and with Grandma passing... You know, you you really think about your own life. Like it's like, wow, I'm like I'm 37 now, and yeah, you're coming up on the big yeah, four zero, buddy. Big four zero, and I I get rushed with a bunch of emotions and feelings, and like I was like thinking, damn, like I was like just realizing, I'm like, Grandma was a horror buddy too, and I mean that was I mean even with you, I mean up out of the cabin, I mean. 
that was the first time I, I mean, the first time I ever watched Leprechaun was with grandma. I mean, Oh yeah. She was definitely into the spooky film. She was Irish and she was like all about the Leprechaun movie. And she was pumped when it came out and I'm like, Oh, okay. And I remember we were looking for the clovers in front of Jan's yard because, Oh, she's like the Leprechaun. And, (laughs) And I was just thinking about like all the, some of the off the wall horror movies she would have us watch like these dollhouse movies where the dolls would come alive and stuff. And oh, that's straight up. That's why <laughs> right next to us, there's clowns yeah. and dolls. And I'm already like thinking like, I got to get my hand on some of those dolls. Yeah. Like I don't, and like we talked earlier, yeah. like, we don't want things. We're more about memories. Yeah. But I'm like that doll room of hers has some creepy dolls. In yeah. There and she- you know, in bringing up the doll room, I always like thinking in my head because the door hasn't been open for years. Yeah. You know? And I'm like, you know, one day we're going to open that and there's going to be like, there was like a hobo or something that hopped in the window and he couldn't get out through the other door. And <laughs> he was stuck in, you know, open the door and see a skeleton sitting yeah, on no the bed. <laughs> I always thought there was a weird smell in that room. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, the mystery, you know, because nobody's been in that room for years. So like all the dolls. And- oh, it was a terrifying room to me. I oh, remember yeah. every once in a while I'd kind of peek in because this, to set the scene for everybody, this is a was a guest bedroom, mm-hmm. and it slowly turned into a doll collection room. Yeah, well, originally started as one of, one of her kids' room. Yeah, and then it moved to the guest room, and then it was just doll room. <laughs> yeah, if you've seen that. 80s horror movie dolls, dude. It's just like that yeah. film, and the, all their eyes. See, and that's me. why I laugh when everybody talks about Annabelle. I'm like, well, my grandma has a bazillion Annabelles <laughs> yeah. chilling in her house. <laughs> no oh, it's no joke. <laughs> well, hey, man. Um, what can I say? Congratulations on getting a handle on your health. I appreciate and really it. Turning your life around. You look like you're immensely more happy you're not in that dark place that you used to be in yeah yeah i've 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 overcome a lot of battles i still have my moments my days but i found you just need to turn around like when you're starting to feel the poor me or the poor pity party like i always think you know you could be a lot worse you could be in a lot different bad situation everybody has their things everybody's going through their stuff uh, what was really eye-opening for me is the people of Ukraine, you know. You see what they're going through, but you still see them happy of cheer, of of sharing food. Like, I mean, here they are in bunkers, and they're singing and and handing out food. And it's like if they can be happy, then us spoiled Americans need to be like, you know, life ain't too shabby, you know, like suck it up, like. You know, anything that comes up can be fixed. You know, it's like it's like we get frustrated if something happens to our house or or something, you know, something comes up. And it's like you got to think about other people and their situations. Like, you don't got that bad, bro. Like, you can suck it up and overcome it, you know. And so that's why I was keeping back in my head when I start getting into those moods of depression or wanting to kind of go in the dark side of things. And it's like, no, you can't do that. Yeah. Yeah, you're a lot better off. You could be in you could be a malnutrition person in an African country just wanting, you know, rice, yeah, food, basic essentials. Clean water is like mm-hmm. in most country a lot of countries that's that's like a luxury and yeah. we here in America take it for granted and then we're so hard on ourselves mentally 
And I think that's one thing we learned from our grandparents, too, because they both came from, you know, poor families and they they could have gone through their life saying poor us. We came from, you know, especially grandpa through the Great Depression and being poor and grandma with her. And Mm -hmm. but they never let that, you know, they never settled for just the basic life, you know, grandpa and worked really hard to get where he wanted to make sure his family was you know, taken care of, you know? So, I mean, we, we learned a lot from them and the older I get, the more we, I've learned that we learned a ton of things from them and inspired us and instill us with our own values. Oh yeah. The hands down. I mean, I think the more I think about both of those, uh, both of them, it's just like, yeah, there's, that's, that explains it. That's why I am the way I am with a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Both of their influences on my life, and it's been nothing but positive from them for me. Yeah, me too. And so, to say otherwise, without them, I wouldn't be who I am today. Same with me. And so that's why it's sad that they're both gone. But they, oddly enough, kind of live on through you, through me, and through everyone else that they they do affected. And then because each one of us got something from them, uh, a value or one of our niches or one of the things we do, you know? (laughs) So I will blame grandma a little bit for my anxiety. I'm going to give that one. (laughs) (laughs) I guess I could blame grandma from some of my stubbornness. Sometimes I can be a stubborn bull like her. (laughs) Well, anyways, um, thanks for listening to the show. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Definitely. It's been great. Um, if you guys are out there, take care of yourselves. Definitely. Um, if you still have your grandparents in your life, pick up the phone and call them because go see them. Yeah. That's one thing I'm right now wishing I would have done. I mean, I seen her just recently, but I'm like, you should have made more time and seen her more because when your grandparents get in their seventies and their eighties, yep. time is more precious than, I yeah. mean, it, it's always precious, but you just don't know <clears throat> things yeah. can come up more. It's like what we happened with our grandmother today. Just we didn't today. We never thought in a million years we'd be waking up to this, you know? Not at all. Not at all. Well, we'll catch you guys all on the next one. We'll talk at you later.